This is KJZZ News, your listener-supported public radio station. I'm Tiara Vianne, and here are this week's stories you don't want to miss. Thanks so much for listening. For the week of January 2nd, 2023, Happy New You and New Year to you. Here are some top stories. Katie Hobbs was formally sworn in as Arizona's new governor Thursday. She managed to fight off a strong opponent backed by former President Trump, and Democrats won most other statewide seats this election. But as Ben Giles reports, the state legislature is a different story. Republicans maintained their majority there, and a host of Trump-allied conservatives are trying to pull the state further right. I, Kathleen Marie Hobbs, I, Kathleen Marie Hobbs, do solemnly swear... Hobbs actually took the oath of office Monday, ahead of today's formal ceremony for all statewide elected officials. The former Secretary of State won at a time when Arizona elections were under attack by Republicans, both those in office and those running against her. Shortly after she was declared the winner, Hobbs said she's not going to tolerate election bills pushed by far-right conspiracy theorists, some of whom are leaders in the new state Senate. I'm not going to coddle somebody who is continuing to spread falsehoods about um, our election systems or whatever else, um, even if they're in the majority. On the campaign trail, Hobbs questioned Arizona's existing border policies, like former Governor Doug Ducey's shipping container wall and the use of a controversial border strike force. That left one GOP senator saying he felt as though Hobbs was punching Republicans in the face. One of the first things Hobbs did upon taking office was issue an executive order directing state agencies to adopt new anti-discrimination policies. That has the state's religious conservatives fuming. But Democratic lawmakers like Rebecca Rios, who spent the last two years trying to legislate while Republicans controlled the state house and governor's chair, welcome Hobbs' election. We are looking at, at folks that have been able to do and pass anything they want because they had full control and full power. Rios, who's leaving the legislature after a long career in politics, says she isn't expecting miracles either. (sighs) It it is going to be a long session. Republicans held their one-vote majorities in the state House and Senate, but the GOP majority this year promises to be more conservative than the last session. Republican Kirk Adams served in the Arizona House in the 2000s. The last time a Democrat, Janet Napolitano, was in the governor's office. He says divided government is difficult. I really think these first 90 days of the legislative session are going to be about testing the resolve um, of the other uh, side. Democrat Rebecca Rios says that to succeed as governor, Hobbs will have to strike a centrist path much like Arizona's two U.S. senators, Democrat Mark Kelly and independent Kirsten Cinema. Right down the middle is where she needs to be, and I think that's where she, she will be. Um, and I think that she has appointed people around her that will provide those guardrails and make sure that that remains her focus. Republican Adams says Hobbs has already hinted at that centrist tone when it comes to issues like immigration and border security. On the campaign trail, Hobbs criticized the Biden administration for inaction at the border. That is the middle ground in Arizona. Hobbs said in November that she hopes her election and wins by Democrats in other high-level offices signal to at least some Republicans that Arizona is changing. But there are few indications that the Republicans Arizonans sent to the Statehouse this year are willing to meet her in the middle. 
Hobbs may instead end up setting a record for the number of vetoes. Ben Giles, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In education news, state lawmakers are once again treading into the rights of transgender minors. Jill Ryan has details. A new proposal by a Republican legislator would bar school employees from knowingly referring to a student by a pronoun that differs from the pronoun that matches the student's biological sex, despite what the student wants. Employees would first have to get parental permission. Bridget Sharp, state director of the Human Rights Campaign, says the measure is trying to solve a non-existent problem. If a child says that their their gender is their gender, you know, there's no reason to bring anyone else into, into the situation. The bill is expected to be expanded to disallow preferred names as well, except for variants. This way, nicknames, which are names also not on birth certificates that students may identify with, wouldn't be regulated by state government. Jill Ryan, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. Thanks for listening. In business news, 2023 means changes to our taxes. Here's Phil Latzman. With the new year comes a major change to the way state taxes are collected in Arizona that not many people are talking about. You're on to something. I think it's a huge deal. I don't understand why it wasn't a bigger deal in the election. That's economist Dennis Hoffman of ASU's W.P. Carey School of Business. A new flat tax rate of 2.5 percent across the board takes effect in the state, replacing individual brackets based on income. And Hoffman says you'll start noticing soon some more than others. For lower income taxpayers, this is a modest tax reduction, very slight tax reduction. For middle-income taxpayers, it's a little bit more of a tax reduction, but not a huge deal. Uh, But for our uh, high-income taxpayers, it's a 40 to 45 percent tax reduction. The new tax makes Arizona's flat rate the lowest in the country, but it was never voted on by the public. It was passed by the state legislature in 2021, enacted by... Uh, former Governor Doug Ducey for 2023, a year earlier than scheduled. Flush with the budget surplus, Hoffman says the permanent change makes sense for now. It's going to leave a mark on uh, revenue collections. It comes at a time when the, when the state is actually very healthy in terms of revenue. And what happens is that when times get tough, uh, you know, we look around and say, wow, where's all the money gone? And now that Arizonans passed a law in November requiring 60 percent approval for future tax and revenue related referendums, Hoffman believes that'll make it nearly impossible to change the law at the ballot box if need be in the future. Now from KJZZ Original Productions. It's been two years this week since the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. This week, President Biden awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal to former Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers for standing up for democracy during the insurrection. Mark Brody spoke with Rusty Bowers about his time in political office. It has been an eventful couple of years for outgoing Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers. The story of how former President Trump and his attorneys tried to get him to overturn the 2020 election in Arizona has been well told. Last year, he testified before the January 6th committee, where many called him a star witness. Shortly after that appearance, the state Republican Party censured him, with party chair Kelly Ward saying that Bowers was, quote, no longer a Republican in good standing. Bowers was also awarded a John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award last year. 
Bowers is actually ending his second stint in the state legislature. He served in the 90s and early 2000s before leaving and then coming back in 2014. He came by the studios recently to talk about his time at the Capitol and his experiences since the 2020 election. We'll hear his conversation in two parts over the next two days. Today, we start with 2022 and what he takes from the results of the midterm elections. My first take is just look at Kimberly Yee focused on, here's the job, I've done it for this long, here's what I have done in the past, this is my election, I'm not looking backwards, I'm not worried about the future of, of uh, some integrity issue, I'm focused right here, and so please elect me, and that's, you know, her pitch. She's very gregarious, she's a, a very professional person. She was over 100,000 votes. She above, won by a lot. Above the winner. <laughs> and then 187,000 over Mr. Fincham. That tells me a lot right there. Who did vote and who voted for her? People who were tired, tired of all this uh, steel stuff and the uh, ongoing divisiveness and uh, loudness and rancor, et cetera. And, and so I just say, hey, there's your, there's your deal right there. Do you think that lesson is being heard widely in Republican circles? I feel when I listen to national Republican circles where they said, you know, there's going to be this wave and see that that was kind of a a, a slight ripple and in the Senate, a little retraction. When I see that and they, they dance around Trump, they don't want to mention Trump because he's still a force and every and they all want to be careful around him. And they'll say, we have to start looking better or looking more at early voting and how to do it better than the Democrats and to tone our message down, et cetera, et cetera, rather than saying this rancor comes because of one person and that person's cancer has, has affected a lot of others. And we need to move away from that and, and get a candidate that everybody can stand behind and cut the rancor and get back to our job of running a country. Well, so you say that when you listen to national Republicans talking, this is what you hear them so, talking about. Do so you, we can talk state. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear this going on in the state, too? I do hear it in the state. I, I have had, and now I don't keep a little tally sheet, but many, many people, especially after when it, it peaked after they uh, basically threw me out of the party and censured me and asked everybody else to censure me and not let me ever be elected again. Okay. If I have to deal with that every day, it might be better for all of us. <laughs> but, but lots of people came to me and said, that was it for me. You know, you can't even disagree and stay in the party. And so um, they said, we've gone either I or D. To go D from an R, that was a big jump for some of these guys. But they just said, I can't do it anymore. If they change and come back, I'll, I'll consider coming back. But they've left. And when I've heard that many... And then saw the vote. And I'd set it right up. You can, you can beat me up all you want. But you're going to see in, in November what the people really think about this. And they did. Have you thought at all about leaving the Republican Party? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't feel any bit bad about it. They've given me the side door. There's no loyalty above America and Arizona to the party. This, the Arizona Republican Party leadership, in my view, is a disaster. The, the Democratic leadership is a very uh, focused, energized, and I would say very extreme. 
and their, their party has gone through its cleansing as well, and they're given a pass. Nobody goes to ask about the moderates in their party that got shown the door. But, okay, it's my party. That's, that was the result. I, I don't feel a bit bad about considering other options. So, I would, I'm not going to go Democratic, but to go independent, I don't think is that's, – that's an expression of my conscience. So let me ask you about the new legislature, because the conventional wisdom is that the group coming in is more conservative than the group that you have been leading the what last couple of years. What is conservative? That's the point I would like to know. Right. Well, but also, I mean, to your point just a moment ago, the Democratic side is also maybe a little more to the left than it has been also. So I wonder how you see that all working, especially with a Democrat on the ninth floor. I, I see it as a, being a very, very uh, tough session. The more extremes of each party will will make a very loud presence. Uh, those who have have survived the primary and survived the general, who are not in the extremes, I hope will work together. We were forced to, at the end of the session, by the entrenchment of the extremes in the Republican Party. And so we worked with the, day, the D's to put a budget together and especially to put the water bill together. Your successor as House Speaker will be Ben Toma, who served as the majority leader uh, while you were Speaker. Have you guys talked? Like, has he asked you for advice about how to actually do that job? Actually, we've, we've talked a lot prior to my, you know, walking out of the office. But I know that the, the new extremists on the Republican Party that have come in use me as the whipping boy and have tried to associate Ben with me as a political ploy to get rid of him and move in Mr. Chaplick. Now, they've moved through that, I hope, but Ben is a very level-headed guy. He has been extremely successful as a legislator in a conservative sense, and I think for the, for the state's benefit. Do you think that you're going to miss being in the legislature? I miss the staff, and I miss some of the members, just the association, the camaraderie. I absolutely will. I do not miss at all the rancorous tenor uh, that some have demanded of the process and have just uh, kind of made a mockery of the place. And so that part I won't miss. So as you are getting ready to leave, anything left undone for you? Anything you wished you had done that lots, you didn't? Lots and lots and lots. I'd like to see more justice reform and move away from the, this uh, very rigid structure of sentencing reform. Uh, we did get some good police reform done with the, uh, the new department in the DPS for, for investigating uh, shootings, etc. Police shootings. And there's a lot of other things uh, that come by where people, individuals have a challenge that you could see could be painted in a broader landscape and that, that needed legislative attention. And, and so, yeah, there was things to do, but uh, I'm very, very thankful for what we were able to do. And I didn't do anything alone. And neither does anybody else down there. That is outgoing Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers. Tomorrow we'll hear more from him, including what's next after leaving state government. And you are listening to the show. 
Yesterday on the show, we heard from outgoing Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers about the future of the GOP and what he expects from the new legislature that will be sworn in on Monday. Today, in the second part of our conversation, we talk a bit more about his experiences and what's next. And we start with a look at the totality of the last couple of years, which have included an effort by former President Trump to get Bowers to overturn Arizona's presidential election in 2020, his testimony before the January 6th committee being censured for that by the state GOP, and a profile in Courage Award, among many other things. And I asked Bowers how he'd describe how these last few years have been for him. Um, just an ongoing... Um knowing that there was no escaping it, that I wasn't going to run away from it, and that I couldn't change the the quantity or quality of uh, opposition. I'll use that, which is a very nice term. But it has been a a time when I could say and and be able to measure personally, will I stand up under pressure? And then... How will I stand up? Will I have show some grace? Will I be just a name caller and and run around and and try to give a lighted flare for a lighted flare <laughs> to everybody? And and uh, would, would I live my faith in any way other than with my lips? And so those are things that that come to my mind on a regular basis. I have grown to appreciate very much people who have gone through difficulty. I think the the we can sympathize with somebody or we can empathize with somebody, and there's a big difference. One is you've lived through it. Just yesterday, I got a call from a, a respected friend who asked me some questions that I'll, I'll leave as personal, but the last one was he said, now can I talk to you off the record just personally? And, and just said that he understood that my daughter had that I'd had a sickness, a really grave sickness in my family during right. this thing. And I said, yeah, my, our, my daughter, we lost our daughter last year. And he was very respectful and said that he had also lost his daughter. And there's an immediate bond of deeper than superficial uh, verbiage with someone who's gone through what you've gone through. And there's other people who've gone through a lot more than I've gone through. So I'm, I feel blessed, and it has allowed me some clarity on the strength of the blessings that I feel I have. And I'm grateful to God and a lot of other friends and, and good people on both sides of the political aisle and of all persuasions who have thanked us and, and shown us the grace that is the good of my country and of this marvelous state. So uh, that has been one of the takeaways from this little time of some of the trials we've had. Do you think that looking forward, you mentioned that the new legislature is, you know, some of the leaders might have a difficult time. Do you think that there will be the ability for members either of different ideologies within parties or between parties to actually talk to each other? Do you think that might translate in the new year in the new legislature? It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like spontaneous generation. It happens because somebody decides to. Mm. And I, I think, again, if the, if the middle portion, the middle-leaning portion of both parties can get together and say, it's more important that we do this thing than that we, that we advance an agenda. And so 
That's something that the, the people will have to decide. Now we have an, an extremely driven both sides legislature with a Democrat governor. So there's a stopgap for any extreme right-wing stuff, but it's also an advancement for extreme left-wing stuff. I'm wondering how that all will move out, and we'll see over time. I'm, I, I wish the governor every, every benefit. Uh, it's, it's a difficult time to be governor, uh, and she's got some great people to help her, and we'll see if the legislature can be thoughtful and advance good policy with her. That'll help us all. I'm curious what you make of your somewhat newfound popularity among Democrats. Like, is this something that you ever in your political career thought that you would be a favorite of the left? <laughs> I can't say that's a benefit in any political way. <laughs> but I, I have had uh, a lot of them thank me for saving democracy. I don't feel I did anything heroic at all. I did what I was supposed to do and have been pilloried by many on the right for doing that, which is which I found unbelievably ironic. Worried as I am about the, the health of the Constitution, which is built on one principle, and that's the first word in the preamble, we. That's what the Constitution's built on, a consensus of individuals of, of very disparate backgrounds, educational levels, ethnic, just upbringing countries that all work together to form a document. And that consensus, without it, that document won't stand. Without the we, you really are undermining your constitution. So it becomes all of us to say, where is the we in what I'm thinking or what we're proposing? Um, so that the left would see that as being, you know, some laudable, you know, uh, it's better than a kick in the face, uh, which I've received from some others. So, Before we wrap up, I want to ask you about your art. And I've read where you've said that you're looking to focus more on that. Anything in particular you're wanting to do? Like could we maybe see a George W. Bush kind of painting of world leaders kind of thing from you? I have thought in, I have thought in terms like that. I've thought of talking, calling up President Bush. I said, I went to your show, you know, that you had over at the at the Heritage Place in Tempe, and I— and I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed what you said, and it was just a great time. But, you know, and I do notice that you're getting better, uh, that his paintings are actually that which we persist in doing becomes easier and better. So is that how you envision spending most of your time? Like, can you imagine at some point getting back into politics or keeping a hand in politics? I, I, don't, I don't envision a political office I would like to be involved in water. I'd like to be helpful that way. And maybe it's in some diplomatic way. And so there's all kinds of directions I could go. I've been offered some thoughts about, is there anything in higher ed that you'd like to do? Or maybe going back to teaching. And all of them have an attraction. But there's something about that part in my soul that I'm all alone in a studio talking to myself, which is... Uh, you know, hard enough for most people to even attempt to try to talk to me anyway, so I'll try <laughs> to do it on my own, about a piece of artwork and what I'm trying to achieve and to work that way. There's just, it's a wonderful thing. I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. I enjoy it, though. And so while these opportunities, I have to catch up. And then if if something came along that where I could be of service, I don't want to run away from service. 
I think that's kind of the rent we pay to be on the planet. And so we'll see. It'll, it'll, it'll be an interesting move forward. All right. That is Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers. Mr. Speaker, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. In science news. Amid shortages of key diabetes treatments, a new CDC-funded study predicts a worrying rise in type 1 and type 2 cases in people under 20 over the next 40 years. From our Arizona Science Desk, Nicholas Gerbis reports. A modeling study in the journal Diabetes Care projects a nearly 700% rise in type 2 diabetes cases among young people in the U.S. by 2060. Type 1 diabetes in that group could increase 65%. Several factors could explain the type 2 surge, including the country's rising childhood obesity prevalence. The paper predicts type 2 diabetes will most strongly affect people who are Black, Hispanic, Asian, Pacific Islander, and American Indian or Alaska Native. Dr. Deborah Howery of the CDC called the report a wake-up call regarding the critical importance of addressing chronic diseases. Nicholas Gerbis, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In Fronteras News. Contractors hired by the state of Arizona have started dismantling a makeshift border wall made of shipping containers in Yuma and Cochise counties. From our Fronteras desk in Tucson, Elisa Resnick reports the move comes after the federal government sued to stop the project. The containers went up on federal land without permission and without an environmental impact study. The federal government filed suit to force Arizona to remove them at the end of 2022. By then, local protesters like Kate Scott had already halted construction in Cochise County. She says she's relieved it's being taken down. But questions remain. Will we take the time to do this right? Because we know that wasn't addressed when it was being done, obviously. And so now we really have to be very, very careful how we go and putting it back together again. Authorities with Coronado National Forest, where the Cochise project is based, close the area to the public while containers are being removed. Scott says she wants the agency to open the site back up so that observers like her can make sure the removal process doesn't cause more harm. Elisa Resnick, KJZZ News, Tucson. And finally, in Tribal Resources, which is supported in part by a grant from the Katina Foundation. President Joe Biden has approved a disaster declaration made by the Havasupai tribe in northern Arizona, freeing up funds for flood damage as the tribe prepares to reopen for tourism. Jill Ryan has the details. The Federal Emergency Management Agency confirmed that aid will be given to supplement the tribe's own recovery efforts from severe flooding last October. The tribe described the destruction of several bridges and how flooding left downed trees on trails needed for tourists and transporting goods and services into Supai Village. Tourism has been paused for nearly three years due to COVID-19, but it is set to resume next month. Jill Ryan, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And this has been the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast, made possible in part by Helios Education Foundation and Alliance Bank, the Vitalist Health Foundation, the Intel Corporation and Beach Fleischman, the Arizona Community Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Thank you for listening to KJZZ and for your generous support. I'm Tiara Vian, and this is KJZZ, your news and information station.